You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And today starts the final week of the offseason before training camp media day coming up pretty shortly. Pacers are in town working out. There's a lot to get to today. We're starting our week where we officially, for every show, continue to look ahead at the upcoming Pacers season. Lots of topics to discuss for their coming season. And today we're starting at the top. We're going to talk about Kevin Pritchard. His job status, does he have uh, a hot seat? Is pressure on Kevin Pritchard bad for the team? And we'll get into why we're discussing that when it happens. But also, some good source reporting from Scott Agnes suggests the Pacers are applying for a disabled player exception from Edmund Sumner. So we'll break down what that means, what the Pacers can do with it, specifically what Kevin Pritchard can do with it. There's a lot to get to today, front office level stuff. And joining me on the other line to break down the Pacers. Of course, former Indy Corners writer extraordinaire Adam Friedman. Adam, how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Uh, this will be an interesting podcast because we'll discuss something that I think has absolutely no value, and then we'll have a really conversation about whoa, uh, a really interesting topic. Yes, the DPE is low value, so Adam did kind of bury the lead there, but it's not completely valueless. We'll get to that in a second. Well, I'll explain why I think it has no value, but yeah, go ahead. It's a sad Sunday for both of us because our football teams both lost uh, and both of them are 0-2, so that is not a fun place to be in the NFL. So we will completely ignore the NFL. Football five minutes is postponed until either of our teams win a game. So yes, we'll start with the disabled player exception. Again, Scott Agnes Fieldhouse Files reports that the Pacers are going to apply for the disabled player exception for Edmund Sumner because he's out for the season or if he is determined to be out for the season by a league panel of doctors, they get the exception. And even if he comes back, they still have it. No issues there. Torn Achilles are typically pretty long. You know, we've seen some, some WNBA players come back pretty quick from these. Alyssa Thomas, uh, Brian Stewart and uh, Kelsey Plum have all come back in like nine months ish. So maybe if it's only that long, it's still like next May. So it'd be, it's basically the whole season. Uh, so it's very unlikely he'd be back, but it's not like impossible. But he will, if, if this panel rules, he'll be out for the year, which it seems kind of likely that they would if the Pacers are applying this early. The Pacers would get this disabled player exception. The exception is worth the amount of half of the injured player's salary, which Edmund Sumner is salary this season is two point three two million. So they will get a disabled player exception of one point one six million. Adam, that is very small. Very, very small. It is not even a minimum contract in the league. Yeah, that's part of the problem with this is it's below the veterans minimum, right? The yeah. veterans minimum is like a is a sweeping term, but basically every player who has two years of experience or more in the NBA has the same minimum salary. And that amount this season is $1.66 million, which is higher than the DPE. So it can't even be used on a minimum contract right now, right? And the other thing about a DPE is it's not like an extra roster spot. You still have to waive someone to use it. So if the exception's big, it's a nice way to like avoid the hard cap and still sign a player who's actually worth something. But when it's really small, it's very hard to use in practice. We talked about this on the show and we talked about Sumner's injury. Like there's no reason not to have it because it's an extra tool that like way later in the season could be helpful. But right now, since you can't even sign a veteran minimum for it, it's it's really low value at this point in time. If they right, get it. It doesn't count against the tax or does it? It does. It does. It does. So that's why I, I that's what I 
I just wanted to make sure I was right. That is why I think it, it kind of comes down to being pretty useless in this situation because so let's say they can, they have the roster spot to use. That means they have to cut somebody likely Keelan Martin. They're $700,000 away from this, from the spot. Right. So that means they can't, they can't spend more than that on a player. So they have to wait to probably what, by that point it'd have to be halfway through the year to get the minimum, get about what there would be, but the minimum player, right. right, Like per rated minimum. So that, so that's near like, the two things have to happen. And then even if, then if a player, it's a bonus, they can't do it, do it anyways. So that gets rid of that. And then the other way is like, I guess they could use it is they could cut Sumner, which doesn't make, make any sense. No, or, if you cut the player, you get the exception from you lose the exception. Oh, so then it doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, there's no else to cut. And then, <laughs> the, so like, then it's like, basically, are you going to go into the year with like, I mean, I guess if you traded Jeremy lamb, that would be the like other scenario, right? Then yes. you could cut Keelan, use it fully. But at that, that point, like, what it can't you just offer the minimum anyways? So like, it doesn't really matter because I'm assuming if you trade land, you create enough space where you can play the full minimum plus have room for a guy at the bonus. So like, I just it's fine to get. It's not like like there's no point in not getting it, right? I mean, Correct, kind of thing. But like, it's it's a it's like got what like a, like a less than one percent chance of having any value this season, I guess. No more than that. But let me explain the value. So you're right that. If they don't make a trade or a waiver, no chance they use it. Absolutely no chance because of their tax concerns. So the reason it has value is the minimum depreciates from day one of the season onward, whereas exceptions don't start depreciating until the cutdown date. So there will be a point in the season where a player can get more than their minimum from this exception, even if they are a veteran minimum player, because the minimum depreciates for them every day. So Adam saw me in the our are locked on Pacers Google Doc doing some dorky calculations. But, you know, because the minimum depreciates faster than the exception, there will be a point in time where they can sign a veteran into that spot. That day for a veteran's minimum slot is December 11th, right? On that day, the minimum will become worth less than the disabled player exception amount. That's too dorky. It doesn't matter. But they will legally be able to use it on a vet at that point. Uh, They would just sign the guy to the minimum at that day. But early January, they could give a minimum player like a $200,000 raise basically. So that's where it would have value. But you're right that they wouldn't do that unless they cut someone or made a trade to have the wiggle room to even do it. So the value would really be like, you know how every year there's guys have to be waived so they can be playoff eligible for another team. It's usually like late February, late March, depending on the league calendar, right? If they keep it the whole season, and they keep Keelan Martin's roster spot open after they cut him, if they cut him, or they trade Lamb for a what much cheaper guy and they actually have room to add someone, then maybe right at like for the last month or so of the season, that's when it could have value because it's worth it'd be worth much more than the minimum then. But it requires a lot of other stuff to happen. And it's still such a small exception that it's not that valuable. It's also a little bigger than the difference between what they spent on Tory Craig and the full mid-level they could have spent. So in that way, it gives them a tiny bit more flexibility, I suppose. But in general, the, the only way to me this would be used is like in February or March. So they're getting it for another option in the future that even though it's unlikely to use. Yeah. And and the issue you're to is you need the roster spot and you also need to make if you're going to have you need to make a move. So like you got to do two things, which I guess is there's a probably two most likely things that happen this year. Right. I think a lamb trade is. Like if we had to say of all the things happened this year, Lamb is probably likely to get traded by let's say January, right? And then the other one is, is Keelan gets cut at some point, right? That those are the two most likely things that happen. But then they both happen at the same time, and then you have to have cleared enough space with the Lamb trade to be able to, in case you hit some bonuses, be able to use without going the luxury. And then you have to still find a player who he have value for that because 
teams that still have their MLE could use that, which maybe they, they then can trump the 1.1 1, 1 if, if possible. Yeah, another thing is that could happen is they trade Keelan Martin with cash for nothing to completely wipe his money off the books later in the season. It's basically cutting him, but it gets some of his money off the books. It's very dumb and confusing. We'll explain if that has to happen. But you're right that there are steps that would need to happen for them to even use this exception. So right now, it basically has no value, right? There was there was a, a sourced tweet or something that said they were like looking at Lance or Wes Matthews now that they have this exception. Well, they can't legally sign either of those guys with this exception. So if they are looking at those two guys, it would be to sign them in February or March. Um, but, you know, maybe well, they... they to the veteran, maybe they would just be in the tax, right? Yeah, they would be over right now. Yes, they, 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 they can legally sign them, right? They just can't. They'd have to waive one of their camp guys, too, to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they clear the roster, but they, they could sign the guy. That's what I'm saying. Yep, in theory. Yes, that will not have, be happening. No, I, I know it will be happening, but they could. <laughs> so it makes sense to do this because it's an extra valuable tool, especially, you know, your guys out for the season. Do it. Why not? But it is extremely unlikely to actually matter. Remember, they applied for one for – or no, no, no. The problem was – they didn't know Warren would be out for the season until it was too late last year. And Jeremy Lamb got hurt like six days after the deadline to apply when he got hurt. Yeah, they haven't had one, I think, since the PG trade, right? Maybe I, I, don't think, I, say, I don't think they've had one since Paul George got hurt. His, right, because Vic got hurt mid-year and then he came back mid-year, so they didn't get it that year. Yep. Either year. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, and yeah, Vic got hurt pretty close to the deadline to apply as well. So they've had pretty rough luck even being able to get these. They get one. If they get one this time, they'll have one, but it's extremely low value because Sumner's salary is so low. Uh, they could, in theory, sign a one-year veterans minimum guy starting November 23rd. But again, extremely niche situation. It would require like them to be so banged up that like, yeah, in November, I like I guess it doesn't make sense. Does, does have as if like somebody gets like, Really badly hurt, they can't play anymore. Like, they have to be it's still the low counter guy, it has to be like O'Shea, probably the other option. They have to have like six or seven guys out in like late November, and then maybe they could like sign cash with it because they're desperate. But that doesn't, that's impossible. It's not happening. Just, yeah. I'm just running through why the date matters. So, it's very low value right now, and it probably will be until like January. We'll probably circle back to talking about this around the league wide cutdown date, which is early January 2022. But, you know, going off Scott's report, it makes sense for the Pacers to apply for it. Get it now, have it in your disposal, and then figure it out. Even if Sumner comes back this season, you still have it. So I think it's the DPE. Did we miss anything here? I think I just think it's highly unlikely. Like I put it, I said I have less than one percent. I may raise less than five percent and gets used. I just don't don't see a scenario where it gets yeah. used. Really. I, I yeah, like two percent would or three percent probably would be about where I put it. Yeah. So it's very small, but it's Kevin Pritchard's choice. Would they do with it as the president of basketball operations? And now I want to talk and start talking about the next upcoming Pacers season by talking about the man up top, Kevin Pritchard. We've kind of been workshopping this topic since the beginning of the offseason, thanks to a report from Jay Michael. And we're going to knock it out today because Kevin Pritchard, his job is very important. His job status is very important to this team. So let's talk about Kevin Pritchard. But first, let's talk about the great folks over at Sweatblock because there are a few things in life that aren't fun to talk about. And one of them is sweating a lot. When you're sweating through your shirts for no reason, when you're sweating a ton, it's just annoying and embarrassing. I deal with it every time I work out or every time I go somewhere hot, which is everywhere now because Indiana is still 90 degrees somehow. There are so many annoying things about sweating and nobody likes to pit out. So that's why I use sweat block. Sweat block is a stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You simply apply it at night before you go to bed. The next morning, you wake up, wash, go about your day. You don't have to worry about sweat at all. Guaranteed. It sounds too good to be true. They have antiperspirant wipes and deodorant that are both so useful that you use it once or twice a week. Keeps me dry the whole time. No more pitting out. 
No more picking your shirt based on which one will hide the sweat better. If you or someone you know is dealing with this, you got to try out Sweatblock. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com if you use the promo code locked on, all one word. Also available on Amazon or CVS, but you don't get the discount there. Go to sweatblock.com with that promo code locked on and save 20%. Let's also talk about direct TV stream because if you're like me, I've explained this many times, but I need to keep doing it. You got one device that lets you catch the game live. I watched the fever on my laptop later today. Another place to stream your shows. I was watching Bones on my Xbox before we recorded this podcast. Sports highlights somewhere else. That's my phone. I got my parents' uh, login for Netflix. It's all over the place. It's impossible to watch all my stuff. Get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes. No more need to buy another device again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of all the clutter. Get rid of all this confusing, where are you watching this, this, and that. Get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Kevin Pritchard, Pacers president of basketball operations, has done a pretty good job in his tenure. But we go into this summer, and Kevin Pritchard starts off his end-of-season press conference by saying, to be honest with you, I'm being evaluated. I'm being evaluated every day. I take that responsibility very seriously. Herb has decided whether, has to decide whether I'm fit for this job, and if I am, what are the things I need to improve every year? And that was a very interesting thing to throw out there because Kevin Pritchard started off in 2017, Paul George trade. Awesome start. Got him a lot of leeway. He's done a good job building pieces around this team. Injuries have really hurt that. We talked about his role in the injury process last week, but now we're here. And the reason he had to say that, or I think at least, is because of the Bjorker and hire, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. The reason that Kevin Pritchard's job status is an interesting thing to talk about right now is because J. Michael reported Kevin Pritchard staying put as the president of the Indiana Pacers after meeting with Herb Simon last week per a source you don't meet with the owner about your job status if it's all perfect. I don't think Kevin Pritchard's on the hot seat, but I, I think last year and the Bjorkren hire kind of altered this. And I think that it, it's an interesting position for the Pacers to be in. Yeah, I think every GM's on the hot seat when you don't have a top five, top 10 player. Understood. I, I mean, I, until you hit one of those, you're kind of stuck because you really have no chance at probably competing for a championship outside of some weird set of circumstances falling your way. And so, especially in these small markets, as we've seen, it just, you're, you're always kind of just like trying to bide your time, trying not to like lose your fan base until you can finally get a player that, that's kind of sellable to them. Um, See, I, mean, I don't the think they're really- on the hot seat until they mess something up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're many- the Knicks guys who just got hired, even though you don't have that top player, like you just had this awesome season where Randall popped and all these guys you signed popped, like even if they had a disastrous year, they would not be on the hot seat yet. Sorry. I meant, maybe I want to say it's the pressure is always on. Yes, you know, that I can agree with. And I mean, the next thing, though, like if they have a bad year this year, they'll be on the hot seat. I mean, that's, that's how fast this happens. And yeah, especially in a market like that. Yeah, at least in like Indiana, you have a little bit more leeway because there's some understanding. I don't think he's been on the hot seat till now. I think he did such a good job in that very first move he made uh, to basically trade for what was the Pacers like to basically at the time, basically get a pretty even trade, if not actually better. Because I mean, at the time, what he was putting the same number of production as George had the year before. And then all on top of that, they got Sabonis, who now is their best player. So, like, they did a good job swinging their best asset to get two really good assets and have kept the team, like, at least with a player in, like, the top tier of something the last four or five seasons. But um, he just – he hasn't been able to find that next superstar, which is not surprising. They haven't picked super high. It would take a lot of luck and whatnot to to get to get that kind of player. 
but then he's had some some he's missed on some signings that's been kind of big. I mean, I think like kind of a, a glaring thing that sort of they missed on was I think clearly keeping Bojan might have been a something interesting to make. I mean, I think they, they he got too expensive, but he clearly is a really good player, as we've seen in in Utah the past seasons. So like that, maybe something that you know they might regret making. Like there's certain things they've had to do that have sort of been like either net neutral moves or a little bit like drop off moves. Yeah, the meeting with Herb, I don't know if it means that there's pressure of the hot seat, but you know, if I'm the owner of the Pacers, I probably wouldn't have pressure on him right now. You know, the Bjorken hire, disaster, no doubt about it. He'll he'll put his hand up and say, I screwed this up. You know, he he's talked about how much he thinks about it and what led to that happening and being reflective, which I respect, but then that's a big miss. And his draft history is really bad, right? I don't I don't want to sugarcoat that since he took over as president in 2017. They've missed a lot in the draft. Leaf off the team, Aaron Holiday off the team, Goga. We've talked to ad nauseum about either play him or trade him. That, you know, is situationally not looking like a good pick, right? The draft has not been good. The last coach hire has not been good. Free agency and trades, all, all very solid. Outside of Tyreek Evans, basically all the signings and trades have been awesome, right? Like it's hard not to laud all of them. And that's really hard to do in a small market. And, you know, they're not in the greatest position right now after the Bjorken year, but I wouldn't have pressure on him after one bad year. After next year, I personally, if I was an owner, would have pressure to him. But that said, that there have been missteps along the way that that have led to us having this discussion and leading into next season. Yeah, I mean, the other thing you could say, and this is probably more interesting anyways, but he has been not super aggressive in the trade market. Now, I don't know what they could have done or where they could have made a move, but like they've all, you know, there was always links of like, could they get Drew Holiday? That was a big kind of rumor for a while. Mike Conley was another rumor, right? Especially that year, was it three seasons ago now where they, they were like, it was, could they trade Aaron Holiday and something for Mike Conley? That was like the thought, right? They were decently close on Hayward and, and Conley. But right. Yeah. The, the Hayward thing, I don't fault him because I think he he went as far as he could go. Like, right. I mean, like, well, he can go give up old, Oladipo for Hayward and the two guys to give up would have been very fair value for a team that ended up getting nothing for Hayward basically at the end of the day now. So yeah, that to me made sense. But I think there were other times where he could have been like maybe a little more aggressive, but I understand why he wasn't because I'm not sure ownership gave him like the leeway if he screwed that up to keep his job anyways. Yeah, I don't know how the the relationship between him and Herb works perfectly, right? Like he's told us some about spending and everybody likes working for Herb. Like who's talked about him. And I know they're going to do that because he's their boss, but there's you know, something that in media is hard is we always talk about the president of basketball operations job. is like build the championship team, build a contender for fans, blah, blah, blah. And we've talked about on this, this on lockdown pictures a few times, but really every GM around the league, their real job is to do what their owner tells them to do. Right. Like, it, 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 and I, I don't know what that is from Herb to Kevin, if there's anything, right. It could just be do what you want, build the team you want, try to do this or that. But, you know, in some other markets, clearly there are times when the owner says, I want a cheap team this year and I want to bottom out and stuff like I don't think the GMs ever or I don't I don't know how much involvement the GMs have in all those decisions. But anyway, without knowing that, it's hard to also know how much pressure he has on him because I don't know what his directives are. But still, I think it's interesting going into this year that after last year where there was the biggest miss of his time running the team so far in Bjorken and how that has changed the scope and optics of where the team is how much, if any, he's on the hot seat. And I think having a meeting with the owner certainly suggests, you know, I, I again, think his job is pretty safe, but certainly suggests it's not perfect. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if from Otip is not, it's very more broad directives, right? Like we want to be a playoff team. 
Yeah, I, I think that's we, probably what it is. Right. I don't think it's like we trade for this exact player. Do I this. Exact, I think it's more like. Well, and I think in the Pacers case, that's true. I don't know if that's true for every. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I mean, there's definitely other places. No, I mean, in Indiana's case, it's somebody just all like a micromanage. It's more like the Pacers, we're not going to tank. So find a way to win. Right. right. Extra yeah, Sa- Sacramento, I think, is like specific players. <laughs> we think we've heard the ownership involvement yeah. there in so many reports for years has been talked about like that. Yeah, and I, I'm sure Pritchard brings moves and they discuss and that's always part of why he wants to make X move or, or Y move. I'm sure there's, you know, you have Buchanan in the room as well to discuss things and win us. That, 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 that all makes sense. I just, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a micromanage on Pritchard, but I, I do think, um, I think when you screw up the coach thing, that's, that's it's rough. I mean, that, that sort of sets you back. And that's, that's, that makes all your other moves that maybe were like kind of on, you know, hit or miss, right? Been really good here, made bad here. It also makes the bad ones glare even more because like, then you can start naming off things of why he shouldn't be the GM anymore because he made XX move when he's made plenty of good moves to counter those out, it seems like, most of the time. Yeah, so I think the reasoning is important, but the, the title of the show is, or, well, should be, is pressure on on Kevin Pritchard bad for the Pacers, right? And I want to dig into that and how I, I don't think it'll impact the season at all, but it's something we're talking about. So let's do that. But first, let's talk about two awesome groups of people. The first one, the great folks over at Sleeper. In 2018, the fantasy sports experts at Sleeper realized fantasy basketball was broken. Games are being won and lost based on which players had more scheduled games that week. If you played fantasy basketball back then, you know that was so true. And it was very annoying. It made no sense. There was no strategy. In 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball. It's called Game Pick, and it's only available on Sleeper in Game Pick. Owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards their team's final shore, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. The days of losing to your opponents simply because they had more scheduled games are over. The days of mindless busy work are over. The days of giving up halfway through the season because of that busy work also over. In Game Picks, you are one game per week scheduled each player based on matchups, home and away, opponents, defensive rating, pace of play, all that. Add it all up. That's your strategy. Less busy work. Whether you play redraft, keeper, or dynasty, game picks has you covered. Sleeper cracked the fantasy basketball code. If you play fantasy football, I play fantasy football on Sleeper. If you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus doing busy work, you're going to love game picks. Download the Sleeper app and start building your league with friends today. You will not be disappointed. And we are also talking about the great folks over at Theragun. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me who's doing a podcast, don't just trying to make it through the day tension-free. Theragun can help you do that. It's a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than the vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out an injury or just the stresses of everyday life, or you have a really crappy chair from Ikea like me, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and thousands of customers. Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on right now. Get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on therabody.com slash locked on. Okay. Is pressure on the GM or your president bad for your team? I don't want to bury the lead and answer the question right away, but I want to discuss why it's a question. We've seen this in the past 
cause problems for teams. And I always start with Rob Hennigan because I think he was really bad at his job running the Orlando Magic. I don't mean to be critical. I don't know what directives he had and stuff like that. Just from an outside perspective, based on the asset value of the moves they made, you always go, what? You know, and, and the Magic got to a point where they were trying to get better. Uh, you know, they drafted Depot, those kind of eras. After Dwight, they were bad for a while. And they started giving up a bunch of stuff for Sergi Baca and signing some weird guards to be lead ball handlers. Remember when Shelvin Mack led them in assists with 3.4 per game? That graphic gets memed on on Twitter all the time. Yeah, that I mean, I think pressure, too, is look at the the Wizards right now, right? They're just like naked move left and right to try to appease. They already, the they already switched presidents. That was another team. I yeah, but this, this president is probably in the same boat. If he has to trade Beal, he's done. They <laughs> moved from Grunfeld to Shepard, and Grunfeld in his final season traded a first and an, for an expiring contract, Bojan Bogdanovich. You know, like for, he traded Andrew Nicholson six months after signing him with a first-round pick because the, there's some pressure for him to win with John Wall and Bradley Beal. The Knicks, for a long time, had pressure to get better and, and turn through a bunch of GMs, right? Because they don't make the perfect moves. And sometimes it's just because the GM, you know, makes a bad asset evaluation or their process wasn't great. You know, and, and with people whose names are saying, again, I don't know their directives. I'm not trying to call anyone out. I'm just saying we have evidence that in the past, sometimes pressure for GMs is bad. And a lot of times when it, when it manifests as a poor thing for a team is when that person is trying to save their job and they try to make, a win now or aggressive move and they make a bad asset play. Right. And the, yeah. like, like the Pelicans made a bunch of interesting asset plays this summer that a lot of people don't like. And I'm wondering if that's a similar thing where they have pressure more from Zion, but also could be an ownership thing to get good right away. Right. Sometimes when the asset plays are weird, that's why. And so because the patient yeah, the- didn't do anything like that, I don't know if there's pressure, but sorry, you, I know I'm talking too much, but Sometimes this pressure we've seen can be bad. And I I wonder if in Pritchard's case, that could manifest. I'm not saying it will. Yeah. I mean, I think the the good thing the Patriots have, they don't have that superstar that like accelerates your timeline and force you to make a move like now to be good because their timeline is so short and you're further going to leave. Right. They don't have that. None of them. Honestly, there's not a single player on their team that they couldn't trade. Right. I mean, I think there's maybe Sabonis off limits kind of, but like if the right trade opened up, Sabonis is also very tradable. Right. There's nothing, there's no, no, you can't have these players players. So that helps at the same time there, there's probably kind of a, a pressure to stay relevant, but that's not the same pressure as, as being good. So you, you make like to stay relevant, you, you can make a little bit like less risky moves, right? Like a TJ, you can sign, you can trade three second round for TJ one, right? You're more hunting for bargains than hunt than hunting for like these crazy moves or for example, a move that's been, that was pretty big. I mean, trading a first, second round pick from Malcolm Brogdon, who then you had to pay $21 million a year for and might've been kind of hurt. So there was, you know, some risk there, but you can take that risk when you're sort of like not trying to like swing a home run every time. Cause it's not your goal. Yes, I definitely agree. And even the pressure in this instance, like you're right, there is some to be, to be good after going 34 and 38 last year, but sometimes uh, maybe this is just how I interpret this in the past. And this could be wrong is like, they don't want to lose their job, right? They're, they're not making moves for the betterment of the team necessarily, but for the betterment of their employment. And I, I don't think Pritchard would ever do that. We have no evidence of that. But that, I think, was what some reporting came out for past teams in that case. So that's where, you know, I don't think, again, I don't think Pritchard would do that. They have a very smart and collaborative front office in Indiana, which I think could prevent something like this from happening. Kelly Kroskov, Chad Buchanan, Ryan Carr, all those guys, like they are very collaborative. It's a team effort, which I think, prevents anything like this from happening. And if you want to back up a little bit, a team with pressure or, or a president with pressure 
their offseason wouldn't just be re-sign your backup point guard and sign Tory Craig, right? If he actually had pressure on his job or pressure to like be really good next year, they would have done way more than that, way more. So I don't think there is any right now, but we've seen with other organizations how this, this demand, demand to win now has really screwed up their both their GM's job. Like Travis Schlenk last summer with the Hawks, you know, there, there, there was reporting that there was some directive for winning in Atlanta and they signed a bunch of players. And if that team wasn't awesome last year, who knows how that would have worked out for him, right? They were awesome. So good job by Schlenk. But it's just that there are a lot of examples of this stuff being talked about in other markets and how it affects their team. And it can be a good thing if it works out for you. But I think in the Pacers case, it, it won't be a thing now. But it's something to monitor going forward of, of if they start making too aggressive of moves or illogical moves that maybe there's some pressure on them to, to change the direction the team is headed. Yeah, I, I think the good thing is by hiring the coach, they, he put your body a few more years, right? Yes, not, I agree. Unless it goes horribly bad. I, uh, yeah. it, it probably bought him two or three more years where like Schlenk was basically at the point where like he had to figure out if I like the next coach I hire has to be good right away. Because if we aren't good this next two years, we've wasted the low kind of Trey Young's rookie deal and it screws everything else up, right? Him and John Collins, kind of that same way. Um, so it was kind of, and he made the right moves, right? He went out and got Bogdanovich, which is a really good move. Uh, and then he got, he made, been, he's been drafting well. And then he also got rid of the coach at the right moment and brought in a better coach um, that he kind of, you know, said he kind of showed he was going to do this in the, in the offseason, kind of just waiting for it to happen. So it's different there for Pritchard right now. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has to look at, if he's now looking at like, how do this team get to the next level? And I mean, I think one of the, the risky moves might have even been the draft pick they took, right? They went, I think they they look at Duarte as like he can be like either there's like some weird high upside for him. And they took a lot of risk because taking there's not a lot of NBA players that have been really good that have been at 24 years old on draft pick, right? I mean, like Buddy Heald is an example of that, but it's it's a pretty risky move to take a guy at 24 years old in the first round in the top 15. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and if they identified him as the best guy, great. Like that's your pick. So th- there is definitely a risk. It's there. still risky, though. I mean, you could take it is totally. Was it with Moses Moody went fifteen or fourteen? I mean, yeah, right. To, right. He was a young prospect. Everybody liked him. You could, you could, you know, if Duarte's bad his first two years, that's kind of it. He'll be twenty six by then. Where like if Moses Moody's bad his first two years, you're like, well, he's still really young. He's got a shot. It's a great kind of thing. Like it, it just it your timeline shortens when you take a guy like Duarte. But if it, it could pay off huge dividends, like, they seem to really love him. So that's it's. Certainly, who who might adopt that? I'm watching him play it more than some summer league games. Right. So to answer the question that I was kind of musing when coming up with how I wanted to talk about, you know, that there was a meeting between, as Jay reported, Kevin Pritchard and, and Herb to decide on his future. I said, is pressure on KP bad for the Pacers? And if there actually was pressure on him to me, that was like he could lose his job or pressure of get good right now or else. Then I would say, yeah, that's that's not good, right? Sometimes that leads to ill-advised moves. Uh, like, like even I don't even know if there was pressure on Bird, but like that 2016 season with like George Hill for Jeff Teague trades and stuff, you know, that was weird. That was not, you know, that was pr- oh pressure see, from that's Paul a good George. Example of this pressure, yes, Paul it was. George put it on them. Like, you got to basically make a move for me or make a move to kind of get us better. I'm going to leave, and that put an un- un- a weird amount of pressure on on Bird to basically make these like win now moves. I mean, he traded. A first round pick that they had to like basically trade back for five years later because for that young, who was a good player, but I'm not sure it was worth, you know, Karis Levert's contract. I mean, they could have, you know, could have gotten for less maybe. So, like, it, yeah. They signed Al Jefferson that summer too, remember? Yeah. That was, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, he let Mahimi walk, which actually was fantastic. And, and, and <laughs> yes, no choice was. about Solomon Hill, I guess. But yeah, they made a lot of weird moves that you kind of had to dig, dig them out of in some weird ways. 
So that that's why the, this topic is interesting to me because is pressure bad for your front office if it's legit? Yes, it is. But I think the the problem with that question is I don't think right now, and I'm pretty confident saying this, that there's any pressure on the front office right now. I think that everybody internally kind of is like, hand up. Look, we totally messed up last year. And they know that. And that is noble and doesn't mean anything. It still means you did something wrong in your job. But I think that knowing that right away and actually moving on from Bjorken after one year kind of saves them that pressure, especially if they can hit on Carlisle and be good this year. Uh, and and if they don't have pressure now, I don't think at all. And I, so that kind of makes the question a little moot. But you know, if it comes to that or if this season is really rocky and they have to do a big roster overhaul soon, then you might start seeing stuff that makes you go, wait, what? what? Why did they do that? So I think that is something to monitor this season and going forward is the fact that that meeting even happened, you know, makes me wonder what the future is going to be like in terms of front office pressure. Yeah. I think the other thing to think about too, is I think in some scenarios it's GM's like last ride. Like I think with bird, especially it was like, he was the end of the age where he just couldn't keep being a GM. So he, he held on to Paul George longer than he should have. Cause he just wanted to see if he could make it work. Cause it was kind of his last shot. But change, I think Pritchard relatively young, I think even if he somehow ended up losing the pace job, he'll probably fall as a president somewhere. And I never, never, or not president, I'm sorry, a, a GM somewhere else, or, you know, kind of the number two at some other place. Um, so I, I think he's not incentivized to just like blow up, make up a ton of crazy, terrible moves. Cause then he might not get a second job. Yeah. I think we've heard for forever that like Pat Riley's so aggressive right now because he knows that this could be the last good heat team he has. Right. So he did. He doesn't care about their 2027 first for round seven pick. years, but also he's Pat Riley. He really can't get fired. <laughs> not only can he not get fired, he is the best in the NBA at just finding a way, you know, to get the guy. He yeah, wants. I mean, he's won a championship, or I guess he didn't win one of the Knicks, but he had a championship contending team in every decade of the NBA, right? He won with the Lakers. The Knicks should have won maybe one time in, in, in the 90s. 04 Heat. Heat again in 2011 to 14, and then he had to heat in the finals last year. I mean, every single decade for five decades, he's been on the cusp of a, of a, of a championship. Forgotten it. Yeah. He's certainly untouchable in terms of his job status. I just mean like the next Heat GM is coming in and going, what, I, I have what now? <laughs> I, I can, yeah, I can you have do- five. Next, next Heat GM has five years, <laughs> basically. Unless he's <laughs> yeah. winning a lot. Yeah, that will not be a fun uh, a fun project to take on. But no, that, it'll probably that, be closer, to be honest. Most will be the GM, right? It'll be the old Brad Stevens move. Maybe I'm I'm over analyzing what the situation is, but I just think it's kind of a, a, an umbrella thing over the team right now, and I don't I don't think it's going to affect anything at all. I just think it's something to monitor going forward. Is the front office situation? I totally think that everyone's job is is 100 safe right now. I just I just think it's something to monitor heading into this season, and I wanted to talk about it. Yeah, no, and I think that's fair. I mean, I hopefully he won't make any uh, like mo- insane moves, right? I mean, I, I don't, I don't see him doing that. But it could, it could affect. Or do they get a little bit more aggressive if they're like, like if they're too many injuries pile up and they're you know looking at TJ Warren and like he's not going to play and they need to make a move for a starter? Do they get a little more aggressive on some move? Do they give a first round pick somewhere just to try to get somebody a little better that maybe is outside of a normal pace move because they feel like they need to make the move or does he? sit on the team longer because he thinks that's the best chance, right? I mean, I think he sat on the Turner Sabonis thing not made attention for a while because I think he, he doesn't really see a better move out there. He saw one with the Hayward trade but couldn't get it done. Um, so, like, maybe does that is that part of the reason we haven't seen a center split because he's afraid that the team will be worse in the short term but better in the long term if they did that. 
Maybe he nails, maybe Turbonus works together this year, or maybe he nails the trade of whichever one of them. And that's how he or, gets the pressure or off. Or Duarte himself. becomes really good, and all of a sudden they have right. it. And then they, then, they don't, then they can play Brian Duarte, uh, Levert, Warren as their one through four. And they or Warren gets healthy, and their intended starting five is like awesome. Like, you know, there are a lot of ways that immediately this discussion, you just go, oh, yeah, that doesn't or matter. Or Sabonis just keeps improving, and he, averages, yep. and he scores 25 points a game next year, and he's, you know, the third best center behind Jokic and Embiid and, and Gobert, I guess, fourth best center. Yeah, there's a lot of ways this could completely change right away. But, you know, the fact that that meeting happened, as Jay reported, uh, is interesting to me. So we will continue this week. This is our final week, first of all, of the offseason on three days a week. Starting next Monday, we're back to five days a week going at it. But the rest of this week, uh, what we're going to do Wednesday is look at uh, make predictions for season awards. Could any Pacers win any awards, MVP, Rookie of the Year, all that stuff, and make our predictions for the league this year. Friday, we're going to do another show I like doing every offseason. Pacers lineups. We're excited to see how we did that. We've done that every summer. I think that we've done this pod together. And then again, next week, we're back to five days a week. There'll be a media day to recap coming up in the next some amount of days. Uh, we'll pre- preview every position group for the team. We'll talk about what to watch for in training camp. And then the week after that, it's October and games are here. So lots of fun stuff coming up on Lockdown Pacers. Yeah, I'm excited. We're not too far. We're a month, month away from the season, right? They play the 20th. Less than a month, yeah. 19th. When, 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 when is their first game officially? Their preseason game is the 5th of October. Right, when is the regular season start? Oh, we're 15 games from their first preseason game, and we yes. are 29 days from their first, or 30 days from their regular season start. Okay, so we're one month. Yeah, yeah inside a month. Yeah, that's crazy. So get excited. Get excited for a team that hopefully will not start 0-2. I mean, no shots at the Colts. They've played two awesome opponents. I just... I always like to talk about. I would say, as a culture, you had high expectations, and you were, and you clearly had not been uh, watching football <laughs> the past two seasons, and did not realize the importance of Anthony Costanza. But my favorite team point. lost to the Bengals, and then missed a game-winning field goal at the end of the game, which happens so often for the Vikings. So. It really does. It's kind of in their really in their. DNA. At least it was a long field goal, not the Blair Walsh chip shot distance field goal it is what it is i don't want to talk about blair walsh anymore that means it's time to go you can follow this show on twitter at locked on pacers yell at us if you said anything stupid adam is on twitter at freedom five i'm on twitter at t yay thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll see you on wednesday <laughs>